Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire your walk with God. For more information about our church and community, check out myc3church.ca. Boy, we have a good day yesterday. That marriage intensive was phenomenal. And, um, and it was just phenomenal. That's what that was. And uh, my, my comment is I got an exceptional team that uh, did so well and um, just really proud of the, how practical it was <clears throat> and the, um, the tools that we hopefully help people with communication and um, with uh, learning styles and love languages and um, sex tips. So it's great. <clears throat> it's great. <laughs> I, I sat down, I said, the guy came to me this morning, he said, were you blushing? I said, my face was on fire after that little session, but it needed to be said, simply needed to be said, um, mostly, so I think I over-communicated a little bit on stuff. Uh, my, I was saying that my pre-marriage counseling uh, that I got was, it was eight, uh, eight tapes on sex positions. That was my pre-marriage counseling, and... Uh, um, back in northern Saskatchewan, where we have really cold winters, I guess. <laughs> but I'd play them in the tractor, and I, I mean, I'd be going along with you, cultivate, and then you go. <laughs> anyway, I just listened to one and a half. That was enough. <clears throat> uh, anyway, we had a great, we had just had a great day yesterday, and, and uh, we, covered, we covered a lot of ground. We really did. I'm happy to have my mom here today. Welcome, Mom, to church. <clears throat> <laughs> I had, <laughs> I'd say last night she was telling us about life back in the, on the farm when I, and uh, how that the, uh, just had the one cook stove and often it would get really cold and, you know, my nose would be almost frozen, which I felt was grounds for abuse and <clears throat> was going to seek some compensation for that. But between services, I remembered how much, uh, how much work I caused you in the sleepless nights. I think we're about even. I probably, I think we're probably even. Uh, what I used to do was a really nasty thing, is I used to, um, um, I, I end up at the hospital for various reasons, and then have to phone for my hospitalization number. It's kind of cruel, and then she, of course, as a mom, you know, you want to know what happened, what happened, what happened. Um, welcome. Yes, I was just thinking of you last week. Welcome. Um, and and, what I, and I, when I just say, I, I need a hospitalization, mom, and can you just send me, you know, I just, just give it to me. She said, well, what happened? What happened? I said, well, they're just going to take x-rays. They've finished with the sutures now, but don't worry. Just give me the, my hospitalization number. I did that too often, and it was, it was, it was cruel. Don't, moms or sons don't grow up to be like that. You shouldn't do that. Makes it hard on your mom. This week, um, one of the things that we noticed on, um, you're watching the, uh, on the news, you see the, the, um, the, the uh, court case of the uh, young man with, uh, in Humboldt that had um, ran into the Humboldt uh, bus, the hockey players, and uh, the, pr- the profound uh, power of forgiveness. It was just astounding, you know, a guy who's beaten himself up, I'm sure, on all levels and trying to f- figure out how, how am I going to cope with this. And, um, and the parents uh, and, and a wife w- went up and said, I-, I forgive you. And I I just think what a profound testimony of, um, of the, 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 the principles of the kingdom of God, and which was the last thing that Jesus asked us to do. He said, forgive them, Lord, because unforgiveness sever, severs a relationship. And I want to talk about relationships 
um, <clears throat> and the, the critical nature of uh, relationships and how I personally believe that uh, as we're students of the scriptures, that revelation was meant to be carried in the context of relationship. In Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that, that things that are revealed to you are for you, you, you and your children's children. That they're not just for you to live with, they're meant for you to transfer on generationally. And the question uh, to you fathers and mothers, are you passing along the revelation that God has given to you? The, the, that you realize that we, we, that's what we do, we transfer things generationally. That we, receiving revelation is not that hard. Um, but, but actually, you know, the thing I was thinking of during worship is that, that, you know, the Lord won't reveal to you things that you won't do. It's a remarkable thing. I think it's chapter 17 or 13 or 14. It's one, one of those gospels there. But where it says that uh, here's how you'll know if what I'm teaching is true is if you're going to do them, if you're planning to do them. The Lord won't reveal to you that he's a healer unless you're willing either to receive healing or go heal somebody. So he won't reveal stuff to us just casually. It's not, he's really not like news, weather, and sports and just stops into chat. He wants to know if you'll obey, which is why the, 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 both the Hebrew and the Greek word for hearing is the same word as obey. And so he won't share with you things that you're not willing to do. He said, God, speak to me. Set your heart to obey, and he'll speak to you. And so when I think of this, I think of the purpose of life, which I think the purpose of life is relational. It's both learning to love and be able to give love. You'll find the happiest people on earth are not just those who are receiving, but those who are sharing. And so as we think of that and, and, and we look at our lives, our, our, how are we at loving God and loving people? Because those two things are always synonymous. We're told in um, 1 John that, that here's how we'll know that God's love is real, is that we're loving. So it's impossible to say you love me and hate people. And so this is, a, this is something that I want to work on a little bit for the next couple of days, I want, or next couple of weeks. Next week I want to talk about specifically about marriage. And, um, and I want to talk uh, this morning mostly about how that <clears throat> it's important to protect our relationships. I'll talk about the purpose of relationships, but also the, how we need to protect our relationships because our levels of connectedness will determine our levels of fruitfulness. Most of you already know that your quality of life is determined by the quality of your relationships. And if you, 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 you could simply say, right, if I were to ask, you typically will, will, respond, will respond by, if I say, how are you doing? You'll, you'll typically answer, if your relationships are fine, you'll say, going great. But if there's something out of sorts, you go, ah, wrestling with some stuff. If you're honest, if you answer honestly, but they usually say fine because they don't want to talk about it. But um, you'll find that, that, uh, that your relationships will determine, the quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life. And therefore, we need to become experts, uh, relational experts, and which is what Jesus taught us. He taught us how to be relational experts. Um, the problem is I really want to obey his advice. Something as simple as like do to others like you do to yourself. It seems fairly pedestrian as a, yeah, of course, but I, I rarely do that because I like to be spoiled. I don't like spoiling other people. I just want to, so, so let's learn to be generous and um, Help, help your pastor out that way. Um, <clears throat> I, I want you to turn to chapter 2 of Genesis where we see the beginning. And I just finished a month talking about why church and uh, how, what it was designed for. The church was a place of access and authority, a place 
for guidance, for governing, for guiding, and it's specifically a place for growth. Uh, if, you, if you come here on a regular basis and don't get challenged, uh, you'll never change. So it's meant to be a place where you're confronted with your system, your, certain, your current system of beliefs, and you're never obligated to believe what I believe, uh, but you're meant to be civil about it <laughs> and polite. But uh, we are here to grow. That's why we're here. And we use as our playbook the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 gives us, I think, one of the a great starting place um, of relationships where it says the Lord placed the man or the Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend and to care for it. Some people will have thought wrongly that, we were, you know, that the man was created in the garden. He was created outside the garden. And then he was placed into the garden. This is interesting to me. He was created in some wild, obscure place, but then brought into a much more domestic place. The, the power of placing is uh, significant for us because we learned the last few weeks that God places people in the body of Christ. Uh, if you've been placed into the body of Christ, you have a specific role, and that is to stay in your place. We have a cute little folksy saying that we're to blossom where you're planted. I'm here to say that's not good enough. You need to bear fruit. Not good enough just to blossom. We're meant to be fruitful and multiply. So when God places you in a place, he'll put you there for the purpose of being fruitful and multiplying. But if we get uncomfortable in our place, as soon as you leave your place, you'll no longer be fruitful and you'll no longer be able to multiply. It's just what I believe, that God places people. He says that he fits us together into a body. And and when we find our place, you need to stay in your place because there's people that have been placed around you that depend on you staying in your place. And and here's here's what my pastor says is that that 75% of your destiny is held in the hands of other people. Think about it. You'll find the only... When God wants to bless you, he'll bring someone into your proximity. No, no one's received a check in the mail signed Jehovah Jireh. He uses people. And when, he, when the enemy wants to steal from you, he'll bring someone close to you. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If they're not close to you, they can't hurt you. I'm not hurt by Starbucks baristas, because I don't know them. I mean, yeah, they're a little slow sometimes. <laughs> Triple tall, and now, <laughs> you know, bless the baristas, Lord. <laughs> Double blessing on the baristas, Lord. It's Christian crack. We need that stuff. <laughs> but but you, you'll know it. This is why... This week, I'm going to put on Instagram the picture of the piano on the hill. When you see a piano on the hill, you know it didn't get there by itself. It's better than turtle on the fence post. Um, I think we need to remember, we're, we're to look to the rock from whence we were hewn. Sometimes I use King James. It's a bit more poetic. From whence you were hewn. Look, look back, and who helped you along the way? Who are those people that helped you get to where you are today? Someone gave you an opportunity because you got close to them. Someone extended their hand of fellowship and love to you, and you were able to advance in your assignment. There's people, no one got to where they are by themselves. We're all meant to work together. And just an important thing, that don't forget the people that have helped you along the way. 
Every day, I try to thank three to five people. Sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't, but it's just a little goal I have for myself. It says that he placed them, the man, this is before the Adam was split, he placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and care for it. Why did it need work? Let me metaphorize this, if I may, because I think the garden actually pictures your and my life. May I submit to you that it could even picture or summarize your family. What if the garden was your business or your heritage or your destiny? Well, here's, here's a newsflash. It needs caring and tending. Well, can't the garden just look after itself? No. You got to work it, baby. You, you got to tend it. Well, well, there was a problem. There was talking snakes. So he needed to, like, learn some moves. No, one, no one's seen that one before. You'd never guess that I made that up myself. And he, and he said that, he actually said you need to take care of it, but he said there's a place where you're going to be able to find life. This is your choice. This was not judgment. Because if you eat of the other tree, you would die. That's not judgment. It's consequence of a bad decision. God's not judging. He's put some things in motion. We live in an interactive universe. There's a consequence for specific actions. You do stupid things, you'll end up dealing with the consequence of stupid things. So he's trying to prevent him. I believe God is continually trying to prevent you from a dumb decision. What's, what's that mean? It means he's trying to protect us from ourself. Your big enemy is not the devil, it's yourself. The little enemy is the devil. So he says that then he put him in a place and he said... That I need you, but he said just a little further along, he brought a bunch of animals in front of him because this deep desire for connection seemed to be in the atom. And, and, and so he brought animals in front of him, and sometimes when there's an absence of connection, we try to connect to an animal. Wasn't <laughs> My son, the heckler, I'll deal with you later. But, he, but, but that's okay. If you need a dog, get a dog. If you need a, right? You shouldn't get a cat, from my opinion, but if you need a dog, it's just my opinion. I don't care what you're But he's brought animals, and he said, do you, want, do you want a connection with animals? Have some connection with animals. That's all good. But it will not satisfy the connection you need with people. <laughs> and so he says, it's not good for man to be alone. The, the, the worst pen, punishment for a human is solitary confinement. Because we got this strong desire to be with people. You get close to them, and you find out they're crazy, and then you want to run away from them. You want to get back together with them. And so that's why you just go to the mall. You don't have to <laughs> get too close. <laughs> it's like two porcupines making love. It's just <laughs> difficult. Um, <clears throat> so so <laughs> we, uh, we, Kelly and I, we, when we went, uh, she, she's a beautiful, um, really beautiful, extremely beautiful. Um, but we went, uh, she, we were, it's really important as a couple you have a hobby that you share. That's really a good thing. So I like to hunt, and so um, she came hunting with me once. <laughs> and, um, so, and then she wanted a rifle. And we were alone in the bush. <laughs> I said, we're, are we good? Are we good? <laughs> um, anyway, it's not good for man to be alone. You need, we, we're meant to... Um, 
so, so what happens is he, he, he puts the man to sleep. It's the first anesthetic, anesthesiologist that was God, puts him to sleep, and he takes the arch out of him, not the rib. He takes the arch. We have the same number of ribs. Takes the arch. Uh, I submit that that's the ovaries, but I got in trouble talking about genitalia yesterday, so I'm only going to say that he, he removed uh, the woman from Adam, and all that was left was Adam. The raw material took out all the beautiful, fine things. And now we're back in good shape. Um, but he took him out of his side. Here's the point I want to make is that Jesus actually, uh, the church was birthed, I believe, at the cross. And, and that the church came from the side of Christ on the cross. When the spear was placed, drove it into his side and water and blood came out. That was the birth, I believe. That when birth is water and blood. I've been a few. Later, of course, at Pentecost, I don't think that was the birth of the church. Church was coming of age and maturing, and now he's about to get to work, and he needed the breath of the Holy Spirit. But, but the church came from the side of Christ. Why? Because, because the bride comes from the side. And you and I, when we give our life to Christ, we, be, we, we are betrothed now. In a Jewish culture, that meant we're promised we give our word to Mary. And someday, the marriage between the bride and the groom, because it's all about the groom, not all about the bride... And someday when that betrothal takes place and we at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there'll be a consummation of that marriage. I'm, I'm not over-metaphorizing. I'm just saying that we are the, now the bride. And that period between when he, the, bride, the groom would come as a thief in the night, she didn't know when, but she knew that she had to be ready and she had to get prepared. And she was to prepare herself for the groom, which you and I now are in the process. It, this, is, this is a beautification process of the bride where we're getting our lashes done and our Nails done, and we're getting all purdy. The process is a purification process that's taking place in the body of Christ. And we're, we're moving the wrinkles and the spots. And that process is meant to transform us. Let me transition to the next point. Revelation is meant to always bring transformation. Revelation is not for information. Revelation is meant to change you and I. We're, we're meant when we... Res, when we when, when we're, when we're studying the word and we're meditating the word and God begins to reveal himself, it's so that you and I will trans be transformed. And there's only one way we're transformed in the body of Christ. That's by putting off that old man, renewing our mind, and then putting on the new man in Christ, finding your identity in Christ. This is the work that's taking place right now. So we become one with the groom and we are transformed as we gaze upon him. That's what takes place. Um, <clears throat> we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't fret about change, and we shouldn't resist change, because Romans chapter 8 reminds us that this is our inheritance to be conformed to the image of Christ, and this is, our, this is the process that we're in right now. You can call it discipleship or sanctification or whatever, but, but when you stop growing, you're done. And the process of change is taking place right now. It feels sometimes a bit awkward, sometimes a bit uncomfortable, the weeding, the pruning, the refining, that's all making us beautiful and preparing us for our groom. Um, anybody, is able, anybody who wants to is able to have a relationship with Christ. It's very easy. Uh, that's not limited to a select number of people. Whosoever wants can come. Whoever wants. It's very easy. He's not hiding anything from you. He's revealed himself to you and for you. It's very easy. 
to come to Christ. The difficult part, that's easy, the difficult part is the discipleship and the refining process. That takes a lot of work. Where, where we move from him being Savior, where he gives his life for us, to him becoming Lord, where we give our life for him. That exchange process that's taking place right now is sometimes a, a little bit uncomfortable. Um, the, the, the next point is about this process of transformation. And, um, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, and, and we read in uh, 1 John about a process of transformation that takes place, and, um, and, and here's how we evaluate how our relationship is with the Lord. It's how is our relationship with other people. He says, don't, you're lying if you say that you love me, but you don't love people. He, call, he actually says you're a liar. He says, you can't say that you love me, but don't love people. How, how are you doing at loving people? I know they're crazy, I know. I know, I live with myself. I know we're unpredictable. I know we're fickle. I know. Question is not what we're like. Question is, how are you doing at loving people? I mean, sometimes even good people are hard to love. How are you doing at loving that? Because he says, you're actually your relationship with people is the way that you measure your relationship with the Lord. Are you right now sitting in judgment about other people? Are you right now, do you got a little bit of a hate on for somebody? Are you, a little bit, are you a little bit withdrawn from some people? That's how, you're dealing, that's how your relationship is with the Lord. That's just, an, just a little evaluation tool there. Um, are, you, are you moving forward towards people with confidence or are you withdrawing? Do you trust people? Don't say you trust God if you don't trust people. I know they're untrustworthy. So are, we, so are, so are you. It's not the point. The point is God places us in proximity with people who are trying to advance us. And they become like mirrors to us, and they remind us of the thing of shortcomings in our life. So what do we do? We don't blame the people. We go and deal with our stuff, ourselves, because we have the privilege of being healed in Christ. And it's a beautiful thing that other people help us do that. So, so, um, so we bring our dysfunction into our relationships, and I think sometimes it's easy to confuse acceptance with approval. You're unconditionally accepted. You know that. Doesn't mean God approves of your crazy, dysfunctional, sinful, hedonistic, pagan-like, grumpy, greedy. Preach it. <laughs> Gluttonous. <laughs> but but he, it's not that he approves of that. He, you're just loved. You can love people without approving people. Did you know that? It's okay to do. You can love them unconditionally. You shouldn't trust everybody. That's crazy. You have to, they have to prove themselves. It's right. You, trust is earned, right? I'm not saying trust everybody. Have the wisdom to know how, right? God gives you that. But we're meant to love. Well, how, how are you doing at that? Learning to love. Okay. The, the, um, in, in John chapter, 1 John chapter uh, 4, and verse 20, he, he says that to us. He says, anybody says, I love God, but hates a, a brother or sister, that person is a liar, for if we don't love people who we can't see, how can we love God who we can't see? That's very convictional for me. So I just review, how am I dealing with people? How are your relationships right now? That's how your relationship is with the Lord. The reason I really encourage people yesterday, like really encourage couples to be intimate, keep, keep that bedroom private, keep that, because your intimacy with one another will determine your intimacy with the Lord. Once you start hiding from people, you start hiding from the Lord. I th some of you are not quite getting me on this. Uh, that's okay. That's fine. 
Um, so the, the point I'm trying to make here is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. I'm trying to say this. So, uh, dear friends, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. This is why you have two relationships with the Lord. Where you are now and where he's taking you. He relates to you as a finished product because he's the finisher of your faith. But he also is aware that he's the author of your faith. He's quite aware how you are right now. No surprise. But he also knows how, where you're going to get to. That's why he can treat you like a finished product. Because he's the finisher of your faith. He sees you in way better light than you see yourself. His goal is to get you where you are to where you're meant to be. So he places you in environments that will bring up stuff that needs to be, needs to be dealt with. So he says that he, we, now that we, um, and what we will be has not yet been known. You're not quite sure yet. Some of you get a little taste of what it could be like. God has way better things for you than you have for yourself. But he says, but we do, we do know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That, the tense in the NIV is, or NLT is not, not quite right, I don't think. Here's what, he, here's what it means. It says that when we see him, we will know because we will be like him. Here's how we're transformed, by looking at what Jesus is like. Can you, how do you see him? Because that's going to determine what you're going to be like. He said, whoever has this hope in him purifies himself. Jesus is not purifying you. You purify yourself. This is a decision you get to make, but you won't get to do it unless you get a clear image of what Jesus is like. And he says, as, we, as you begin to gaze on me, early in the first service, we prayed for healing. Very easy, because Jesus doesn't heal. He is healing. It's who he is. He can't not, because it's who he is. He can't not provide. He doesn't withhold. There is one that withholds, but he doesn't withhold. So, so as we get a clear image of Christ and we, and we get we, in our meditation, a reading of Scripture, you listen, if you don't get the image of Jesus from here, you'll conform him to your image. And 2 Corinthians 10 said that's a vain imagination. That's a selfish bunch of thinking. You're just, you're just confining him to your limitation of what the, your, your little experience has been so far. But we get a full revelation of him in he, as the word. Am I yelling? Got to get it out and get it over with. Um, um, and he says, let me just, let me just um, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says we pull down strongholds. That's what we do. We cleanse thoughts. How are you doing at cleansing your thoughts? This is critical. I told everybody yesterday, I am a mental monogamous. No, monogamy. Monogamer. What am I? I'm a one-woman man. I think about that all the time. You got to cleanse your thoughts and your imaginations. You got, right, they're different things. And high things, lofty things, emotional ideas and concepts. And then it says, let me read this because I've never understood this until just this week. And it says, and, then we, and we teach these thoughts to obey Christ. And we will punish those who remain disobedient after the rest of you become loyal and obedient. I think he's speaking to the rest of those thoughts. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The word punish means to decide the case. Here's what we do. We bring, here's what we're going to do. Are we going to let those thoughts get off scot-free? <laughs> we bring them to the court. And I, de I decide, I judge, what are those thoughts like? Are they godly thoughts? Are they Christ-like thoughts? And I get to decide what they're like. I bring them to court. And I say, that's not it. Why? Because I looked into his word, and he's different than that. This is how we're transformed. My last point, which is the most important point of all, is this. We need to learn to protect our relationships. And um, 
Uh, I don't know where the rest of my traps went. As a young man, I trapped for a number of years. And, um, oh, there's something dead in there. What the heck? Uh, this little thing right here, that little thing right there, on a, tra a trap technology, that's, a, that's just a trigger. That's all it is. I used to snare and trap. We used big, big corner bears sometimes. Don't judge me. Um, that's, here, there's a term for this in, um, in the Greek uh, for the word offense. And the, the word, the noun is scandalon, where you get the word scandal from. The verb is scandaliso. Uh, it means offense. In Psalm 25, I was reading this week, and I think it's about verse 18, where it says, the Lord keeps my feet from snares. And I go, because snares hide. Did you know there's snares? You can't see them. And they're on the path as you're walking. Um, what, this, what happens with this, let's see if I can lose a finger. It's ready to go off, right? It's okay. I'm just building a little tension. It's okay. It's just a trap. Like, how, how dangerous could that be? <laughs> can I have a helper to just hold this? I'm joking. I'm okay. Um, so this little thing right here, it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the scandalon. And, um, and there's traps set on our path. I set that without looking. Will it hold? Can I take my finger away without? I can't. So now that's trap set. There's traps set for you. There, and here's what they are. They're offenses. That's what they are. That you can pick up from really, you can pick these up friendships, business associations, but they're really popular in churches. They're little things, like the way the pastor dresses or doesn't, the style of worship. Did you, did you get your hand shaken on the way in or not? Did you, a person hugged me, I only wanted my hand shaken. No, I, they only shook my hand, I wanted to be hugged. Whatever. But, but there's all, all, lots of opportunity to be offended. Am I right? Anybody been offended yet this morning? Don't you put up your hands. <laughs> let, me, let, me explain, let me tell you, let me tell you what, uh, what um, Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, end time is going to be like this. There's going to be many who will be offended, and they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Did you notice the progression? It goes from offense to betrayal to hate. It, what are you doing? You're tending and caring for the offense and you're not protecting the relationship. Um, they get into marriages, friendships, and they create atmospheres, and, and it moves downward very quickly. If you haven't been offended yet at this church, hang, just hang around. Give me about, I don't know, two weeks. I'll, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Uh, Romans chapter 16 says, note those who cause divisions and offenses among you. So just walking traps. Literally, the, uh, a scandal on a scandaliso means obstacle that cause a ruin spiritually or moral, to suffer injury or hurt, to cause a person to distrust or to desert one who was trusted, to wound with words, actions, or violate someone, to act unjustly or injuriously or insensitively. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Um, and, um, and here's what I found, as I found that I can be easily offended at any time over anything. So here's what we have to do. We have to grow up. And we have to be aware that there are traps that are set in our relationships 
that, that we need to protect our relationships and guard them because they're our only opportunity for advancement and for promotion and for blessing and for destiny. It happens in families, it happens in churches, it happens everywhere. Little, these, these things. Well, so, so here's what I'm just going to tell you the six signs of offense. The first is vain imaginations. You're talking to someone and they're telling you what just happened and they're looking through the lens of an offense. And you know what it looks like? Freaking offensive. They can't see any differently. Why? Because they got the glasses of offense on. So, so you begin to now, you've got your own thoughts. You haven't taken and washed yourself in the word. You're just taking your thoughts and you're looking at the world through your thoughts. The second thing that's uh, usually very noticeable is detachment. This happens in church. People start, they come right up, up here, and pretty soon they're way at the back. I'm just joking. <laughs> love you, love you. No, but it's just the people, be, they just don't show up, right? And so our responsibility is to say, hey, miss your church. How are we doing? People in your groups. Yeah, and, and don't worry about being pesky, right? Just, just we need to notice when people aren't, if you, you notice, hey, so-and-so went in church. Aha, there's a, there's a sign. And you, and you reach out to them, and then you have coffee with them. Let me move along. Uh, detachment. Third is strained relationships. It happens every year at Christmas, right? The crazy uncle, he does something dumb. and you just, So st- the relationships get strained. If there's a strained relationship that you have in your mind right now, good, we're going to pray for you in a minute. It's good. Number four, it opens up the door to harassment. The enemy feeds on negativity, unforgiveness, bitterness, gossip. He feeds on that. You're like feeding the monster. And all of a sudden, you've got a whole bunch of negative spiritual power attached to that. And that little thing now becomes a great big mountain. Huge. Uh, number five, um, it's like it, it dries up the river of the Holy Spirit. Uh, offenses are like a log jam in your soul. And somehow you just can't, the Holy Spirit just doesn't seem to flow. Love's not flowing. No, no, because you got a log jam. It's okay. Deal with the log jam. Amen. And the last one is unhealthy conscience. Your conscience is your inner umpire. It gets weak and unreliable. And now the whole world, now, now what you're doing is you're, you're, going, you're walking on the other side of the street. You're not going past that person's cubicle. You're scooting past the road and you say, oh, you know, tonight I know we were invited over for dinner, but I just not, you know, I'm just not feeling it. And, you know, really tough, a little bloated, a bit gassy. You don't want me there. I'm a methane factory. Just let me stay home. It's, you just come up with stuff, right? Reasons to avoid. That's what you do. That, and what, what's that? You can usually trace that back to a little thing like that. Gee. Dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. You'll get your foot caught in it. You won't even know it. And you'll just start to spiral. Happens all the time. Here's how we, here's how we deal with them. Let's all have the band come back. Um, the first thing is you have to take responsibility for your own relationships. If you find out that, you know, this relationship's bad, this relationship's bad, this relationship's bad, this relationship's bad, what's the common denominator? Me. Take responsibility for your relationships. We're stewarding relationships because we're stewarding life and it's revelation and hope and purpose. That's all held in the context of relationship. The second thing is take initiative. Well, they should, you know, really, they, they should come to me. Hey, listen, the healthiest person is always the one that takes the initiative. If you're unhealthy, you'll wait for someone else to come to you. We're big people in the body of Christ, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that thing that you're avoiding, you actually can stir up the gumption, and you can go face them. And I've found that the Holy Spirit, if I'm going on his time, he'll give me the words to say when I need to. I'm not, conf- I'm not confront. Uh, when I confront someone, by the- this time I prayed, I'm not fanging them. 
We need video, don't we? I'm not fanging them. I'm loving them. Because my spirit, okay, here's what happens. It says when we, when once we get a, a clear gaze on Christ, it says anybody who has the hope that we're being transformed purifies himself. And then the third thing you should do, this is not rocket science, but we forgive. Everybody, everything, every day. You can live unoffendable. Forgiveness is not allowing the, saying that the other person is right. It's allowing you to go free. That's what it is. This is this thing of freedom. I want you to just, here's, here's how I'm going to wrap it up. Just for privacy's sake, it would be really great if you could subscribe. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.